As I said, an exciting evening because we've got God's word to the power of three tonight. We have Hannah. Yeah, another woo, please. We have Hannah, we have Sue, and we have Joe, and I'm going to pray for them all now. Father, we thank you uh, for the fact that we have not only remarkable, but miraculous people in our community here who are doing amazing things uh, with people in the congregation and people in the community. And we are so proud to be part of that, and we want to be more part of that. So as uh, Hannah speaks to us, as Sue speaks to us, Joe speaks to us tonight, as they share what you have put on their hearts, we pray you would move our hearts and uh, that we would find ourselves swimming even deeper into the river of your blessing in this church and community. Please answer prayer. Amen. Hannah. Amen. Thank you. So I just wanted to start by saying that I know that I'm talking uh, to a congregation where there are kind of no or minimal children or young people, um, and the majority of us um, are single and maybe don't have children, um, and that might be a difficult or painful topic for some of us. Some of you might, in fact, come to this service for the very reason that there are no children here. Um, but just because you can't see them right now doesn't mean that they're not here. Um, children are an important part of our wider church community, and they're important to Jesus. And children in youth ministry is not just something that we do kind of as an extra on the side. It's part of our core values of who we are as a church. So on that note, um, I'm going to start by reading a passage from Matthew 19. It's just verses 13 and 14, if anyone wants to follow along. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I think we can sometimes fall into the trap of reading this passage and thinking about it as a kind of sweet, lovely, a little bit fluffy, uh, nice picture of Jesus. Isn't he sweet with all the little children around him? But without really thinking about what it could actually look like to follow his example. The disciples were shooing parents and children away, probably because they thought that Jesus must have more important things to do, more important people to be meeting with. And in one of the other Gospels, I think it's Mark, it says that Jesus is indignant at his disciples for doing this. And it's a scene that's still relatable to a lot of uh, parents and uh, children today. I was talking to my parents about this talk, and they were telling me about how in the church where I grew up in, there was a time when um, there was a group of adults who uh, spent quite a lot of time just shushing and tutting at the little children any time they made any sort of noise in the service. And I think what that communicated to those parents and those children was that you're not really welcome here. The vicar actually got fed up with this, so he decided to move the crash right to the front of the church on the stage. He put toys up in the pulpit. It was brilliant. It was a very visual way of communicating the value of children in that church because of their value to Jesus. The disciples haven't understood about the kingdom of God, that no one is excluded from coming to Jesus. All ages are included and equally valued the youngest to the oldest, babies, children, teenagers, adults, all ages. And Jesus doesn't just tolerate the fact that children are there. 
He calls them towards him. He prays for them and demonstrates that they belong. And that's the kind of church that I want us to be. A church where children know that they belong and that they're encouraged towards Jesus, not away from him. So two questions for us to consider. Are we a church where children and young people belong? And are we encouraging children and young people towards Jesus? So first, let's think about belonging. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus demonstrates that children are members of his kingdom as they are. They don't need to grow up to be part of things. Unlike some of the people maybe in the church in my hometown who wanted the children to be seen and not heard, we want St. Dionysus to be a place where children are seen and heard. By that, I don't mean that they're really noisy, although sometimes that can happen. Uh, but that we need to make sure that we are noticing and listening to the voices of children and young people. And not only that, that we encourage their participation. As in the kingdom of God, we should see children as full and participating members of our church right now, as they are. Yes, they are the future of the church, but they are also the present. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we're so passionate about intergenerational worship here at St. Dionys. Church is uh, one of the very few places where parents, single people, couples, children, teenagers, grandparents can all meet together in one place. And I think children have often been segregated from the wider church. And whilst, of course, it is good for children to have time in peer groups, I think there's something so powerful about coming together as God's diverse family. In our increasingly isolated society, there's never been such a need for community where we can come together to mix across the generations to be true and authentic family. It isn't always easy to do, but it's an amazing way of pointing to the kingdom of God. And I was talking to a young person about this very theme of belonging recently. And she said that church to her is a safe place and that she loves how inclusive it is. I promise that was not prompted. I didn't put those words in her mouth. Um, And I kind of pushed her a little bit more and she said that she doesn't necessarily feel that way at other places. She doesn't feel that way at school, for instance. It's something unique about church to her, that it's a safe place to be. And other children that I spoke to uh, talked about how they feel like they belong when they have a role or a part to play. We should be providing a safe place for children to encounter the radical love of God. And if children feel uh, that sense of belonging, then they are much more likely to feel like they are worthy of love. If you believe like you belong in church, you're much more likely to dare to believe that you belong to Jesus and that you're loved by him. So how can we encourage them towards Jesus? I think it's a simple answer, really, of sharing faith and praying. In the uh, newly released uh, census that came out recently, um, it said that only a third of people under 26 in England and Wales would describe themselves as Christian, um, and we know that even less regularly go to church. Um, And when we're looking at children and young people uh, who are regularly attending church, the numbers in recent years have kind of fallen, really. If you're a young person and you are connected to church in some way, you are in the minority. 
But we all have an amazing opportunity to speak into the lives of children and young people, to share who Jesus is with them, and to equip them to share it with others. And they have plenty to teach us as well. Jesus often used children as examples of faith. In Matthew 18, so just uh, the chapter before, he says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we know that they often come out with the best questions and they have ways of uh, looking at things that challenge all of us. And if I am being uh, really honest, it is a kind of uh, source of frustration, shall we say, for me, uh, that although we have some wonderful committed members on our children and youth team, most of the time we just don't have enough. We don't have enough to be able to serve the children and young people in our church or in the local community as we would want to be able to. And what does that say to, uh, to children about their value? So I do want to challenge you. That if you feel excited or if the Holy Spirit is kind of stirring something up inside of you by any of this, to seriously consider joining the team. It might be a sacrifice, but it is important. But also, I do recognize that that's not going to be for everyone in the room as well. But as the church, it is all of our responsibility to foster that culture of being a church where children and young people belong and where their faith is nurtured. And we can all be praying for those children in our church and in the local community, for those that we know. And let's make sure that we are not at people like the disciples were in that example, that hold anyone back from meeting with Jesus, no matter what their age. Again, as it says in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus is speaking again. He says, whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. Amen. Cool, I'm going to hand over to Sue now. Um, I'm Sue, and can I move it over? It's, it's better. <laughs> Sorry, this is going straight to my eyes. Um, I run the Christian Nursery School, which is um, in one of the Cass Halls, which is opposite the White Horse and, and uh, next door but one to Mini Waitrose. Um, and I just, I'm just going to talk a little bit while I've asked to have been to talked to a little bit about Christian education, which is what I'm going to do. Um, but I don't, I don't want you to think of it in terms of just a school building, because I think educating children in the way of the Lord um, is done by many of us. It's done by parents and it's done by the church, but I'm just in a nursery school, so I'm just going to talk about some of the things that we put in place. So what is Christian education? It's the education um, which is Bible-based, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-controlled, people-related, socially applied with scripture being the authority in all things. The Bible has a lot to say about Christian education. In fact, there are 350 references, not all related to children, though. So it clearly is important. But one I've chosen is Proverbs 22, verse 6. It just says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And that, I think that to a teacher is a really key verse because 
particularly for us, we're working with very tiny children, and sometimes you wonder whether anything's going in, although a lot of the time we know that it is. But what we do know is its foundation, and it's going to be there forever. So schools generally, these are Christian schools and non-Christian schools, have an explicit and an implicit curriculum. So the explicit curriculum is what appears in the formal documents, so that's what, what they're teaching, French, music, art, all the rest of it. The implicit curriculum, or the hidden curriculum, is taught through the philosophy and policies, values and atmospheres of the school, the classroom environment and the teacher's example. What makes Christian education different is the emphasis is placed on educating the heart. And in Wise King Solomon wrote, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. He understood that the importance of educating the heart was that the son would learn by observing his ways. A Christian teacher whose heart has been established in God's nature and character is crucial in Christian education. For a student to learn the heart of God, he or she must observe the heart of God in action. As spirit-filled Christian educators, hopefully model God's heart. One of the central themes to Christian education would be an emphasis on a world view. And I learned quite recently that 90% of a child's world view is established by the age of six. So my feeling was when I heard that, was we can't hang around. We need to get on with teaching these children. And what is a worldview? It's basically a set of values, beliefs, and ideas that is held to consciously or unconsciously about the basic makeup of life and the world. And I think for um, developing a biblical worldview, we're basically an answering foundational questions according to the word of God. And with small children, well, with any children, what we're trying to do is we want them to establish a worldview before they start asking the questions. That's the secret. So before things start going pear-shaped. So one of the questions would be, what's life and what's this world all about? And the answer is found in knowing God, that he's this creator of everything. Through him, everything exists. And God alone existed eternally. He wasn't ever alone. Even at the beginning, he dwells in unity with the Son and the Spirit. He would never have been lonely. We weren't created out of need. God wanted to share his love and wanted to love us. He's a personal creator and we're made in his image and we're created unique. And we are unique, especially in our purpose. God prepared a beautiful environment for us to live in and this makes children feel secure, that they're not here by accident but God made the world ready for them. God always goes ahead and he prepares the way, and like the world he created, all that he prepares is good. All that's not good is the result of sin. Man chose to separate himself from God, but Jesus is God's strategy for bringing us back into relationship with him. And we're made in his image, and through Jesus we're remade in his image. And all of those things... Um, a part of what we're teaching. Another question is, who am I? And that's found in knowing that God is not only our creator, but our father. He's our personal and perfect father. And again, it's a source of security for children because no matter how the world changes, Father God is always the same. He's always there for them. 
and he delights in who we are. He made us just as we are, and he loves us unconditionally because we're his special creation. The world isn't telling them this, so it's, very, it's a very radical message, and it's absolutely amazing if we can get it into the, these little people when they're young. Where am I going? That's another question. Um, and the answer is, and, and what's my ultimate purpose? And the answer is knowing Jesus, God with us. Jesus is God. He was God from the beginning. He created the world. He gave us his life freely for us. He, he didn't, it wasn't taken away from him. It was a free gift to us. The redemption that Jesus won for us is, an, is important to every aspect of this world, and it redeems all things. Jesus is even closer to us than our breath, and he enables us to fulfill God's destiny. And the ultimate destiny is that we rule and reign with him forever. And then lastly, what's true, right, valuable, and beautiful, and how can I know what it is? And the answers are found in knowing the word of God, because we can find all that's true, right, valuable, and beautiful in Scripture. Biblical principles and applications, vitally important if we want to fulfill God's potential for us and if we want to see his destiny. So all of those things, spoken and unspoken, would be something that we can be putting into the education of our children. Um, and it, it is something that, as a Christian um, school, we do put into practice. And we've seen amazing things. I mean, it's children don't find it difficult to believe in God. It's, it's adults that um, get, because life is more complicated, there are other things being thrown at them. But I think that um, in terms of who's responsible for education, I think obviously it, st it starts in the family and the educational journey. The, your, the parents are the first educator. And I would, there are lots of ideas that I, I would have for families to set up some, some core practices within the family. The family unit is so strong and it's really important that as a family, the values are really there right from the start. So the children aren't looking outwards because the world is offering them other values, and if we're not careful, they're going to adopt those. So a, fa a family is really, really key. And then secondly, the church. Children in the first century, and um, the scripture that um, Hannah just read is, was um, very similar to what I'm just to say, but in the first century, they were considered the last and the lowliest. And by inviting into his presence and by commanding the disciples not to hinder them, Christ put children, the lowliest, first, the kingdom of God belongs to such as them, he said. They're part of the church, and all the church members, not just parents and relatives, but all church members bear some responsibility for the care of our children. And that extends, in my view, to their education. We're imparting truth that can be a standard to test everything that they're told or hear against. And at the moment, with so much going on and so much coming into the home through um, social media and all the rest of it, it is so important that, that there is a, a plumb line which they can test things against. Children usually have no problem believing in God or any of his characteristics. As the human soul is designed to worship and believe in Jesus, it's only once our souls and minds have been warped by the world that we have trouble believing. There are only two kingdoms and all education and knowledge come from one perspective or another. Children will end up learning from somebody else's perspective. Let's make sure it's God's. And just as, as a, um, a quick word of testimony, I think people think that little children um, don't take things in. I think little children take things in much more often than older children because, again, 
they are just, they're so malleable. They, they just have such open hearts and they have a, they have a real spiritual connection. I, I've prayed with two and three-year-olds, three and four-year-olds, and I know that they're not talking to me. There's just, you just sense something that there's, they've connected with the Almighty and it, it's the most extraordinary experience. Um, but also they, they understand healing, they understand faith, they understand God being with them. They have a, a huge capacity for, um, for taking in things of the spirit. So anybody who's in contact with small children, don't ever underestimate their spiritual ability because it's great. Amazing. Um, why don't we just take a moment to turn my water. Just turn to the person next to you. One thing that stood out to you from something that Hannah said and something that uh, Sue has just said. There's lots of gold there. So let's not lose it. So just turn to the person next to you and two things that stood out, one from each. <coughs> Great. We'll have a chance to be thinking more at the end. Oh, lots of excellent things that stood out. This is good. Okay, so this third and final section, we're going to be thinking about how we as Christians can encounter uh, children and young people in our community. Um, a few stats to start with. So locally around here, we've got nine schools. So that's primary and secondary. Um, so kids traveling in if it's secondary, but those who are living more locally, primarily. Nationally, uh, every third child in this country is growing up in a household living in poverty. So struggling to make ends meet each week. And obviously some of that 33% of children are gonna be living very close to here and around us. 40%, 40 of 16 to 24-year-olds in a survey said that they felt lonely often or very often. And if you've grown up in a household that where there are some ACEs, which is um, adverse childhood experiences, so that would be things like in the home, there might be um, physical violence, um, mental health issues with one of the parents, or um, you know, those kind of things. If you, if you experience those kind of things, you are more likely to experience what's called social thinning. So that means where there's a sort of minimal or a paucity of a network of supportive relationships. And so of course, if you don't have many supportive relationships, you'd be more likely to be more withdrawn, which again means you will increase that sense of social, social isolation which means you've got less support from your, poor, from your peers. And just in the community, just an example of that, one of our Safe Family volunteers from St. Dee's here um, is currently um, working with a 12-year-old lad. Uh, his mum has got uh, mental health issues for herself, 
um, they are on very low incomes so in, in poverty, and the lad has stopped going to school. And so safe families have picked him up, and then someone, as I say, a volunteer from here at St. Dee's, um, is now visiting this lad, looking to befriend him, gain his trust, get to know him, to build his confidence with a goal of introducing him back into a wider network. Um, and that could include something like coming along to a social event, maybe, of the youth group that Hannah and others run here. Because otherwise, what is that lad's future? Let's just have a think. So he's, he's not going to school. So he isn't really developing his friends. He hasn't got any friends. So he's not learning social skills. He's going to go through all of that hormonal angst of puberty, essentially on his own. He's not going to get any qualifications if he doesn't get back into school. What will be his outcome? And without the kind of early intervention, so many, isn't it? It's all on the news all the time in the sort of slightly critical way that young people, they get into drugs and gangs and all of this and how terrible, terrible. But actually, as someone who I really respect put it, um, he said, drugs, alcohol and gangs are actually young people's best attempt at self-medicating against the agony of their lived experience. So that's why we want a, the early intervention to get involved with these young people and the children and starting right from the beginning as Sue has just explained. So that worldview, there is relational good um, connections for them. So how does Jesus ask us to respond? Let's see what the early disciples did. And again, it's a great follow-on from the passages that um, Hannah and Sue referred to. So I'm looking at it's a very familiar um, passage in Acts, Acts 2, 42 to 43. Uh, sorry, 45. Uh, let me just find it in here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And as I say, it's a, it's a very familiar passage. Um, and I love that that community was so contagious because they got together and listened and sat under scripture, because they were fellowship, you know, they had fellowship together, because they were praying and they were expectant and saw the signs and wonders of God in action. I mean, can you imagine being there? How cool is that? So contagious. People were coming, they were coming in. The thing that really struck me <clears throat> was that and, as well as all those things, and possibly one might say because of all those things, they sold their property and possessions to give to all anyone who was in need. And 
just to sort of focus on that a little bit, not many of us own property, uh, so we haven't got that to sell. Um, we do have possessions to sell, but that's, I think, probably another sermon uh, for another time, <laughs> not what I'm going to tackle. But the point that really struck me was as a result of being a part of that community, knowing who they were in Christ, seeing how Christ welcomed everyone in. Again, as Hannah was saying earlier, any age, any stage, whatever state they were in, because of that, they were ready to give. They did all that they needed in order to be ready to give to anyone in need this example is they sold their property and their possessions. So let's just um, have a look. What does that, what might that look like for us in our day and age? There's really two things there, aren't there? They were ready to give. They did, they made decisions that enabled them to be ready to give. But they also needed to know who and what the need was around them. So if we think about how can we be ready to give, as I say, that's something probably for us to think about on our own. But as a community, how do we know what the need is? How do we know who has the need here in Parsons Green and amongst the people that you're living with day to day? I said at the beginning there's nine local schools. I was trying to count, as far as I know, I could be wrong, We've got at least four head teachers in our community, many teachers, some of whom, amazingly, are here today, despite the fact that it's half term. Um, and we've got many other people, including Hannah and others who are involved in their work or volunteering life, involved with children and young people. So do we know about their life, about their work, about the young people and children that they're connecting in with? What would it take for us to just go and chat to them, go and ask some questions about what they're, what they're involved with, what is on the hearts of the young people and the children that they're connecting in with? Because as we find out more, there may be ways in which we can then respond, that readiness to give. We are then in a position to do. We can certainly always pray. But there also might be ways in which we, in our day-to-day -day world, can connect one example is um, a friend of ours who goes to um, a different church. Their church run um, a program called Spear. And um, it's, a, it's a program for 16 to 24-year-olds who have kind of not really engaged with schools. So they've got no qualifications. They may have already been in prison. So it's a way in which of training them to be able to apply for, for work and, and get jobs and actually hold jobs great organization. And one of the things they do to help them to prepare for that is they run mock interviews. So Andy, this friend of ours, he works for IBM, senior consultant for IBM. Um, no day-to-day -day engagement with children and young people. But what he does, he gets his work colleagues to come along for an afternoon and they are the people who are the mock interviewers to give these young people the experience of being in a professional interview. How amazing. As I say, he's got nothing to do with children and young people, and yet he can join the dots because he's found out the need of something in his local community that his church is involved with. So who knows how, whatever you do on a day-to-day -day basis, 
you might be able to find a link where you can be an answer to a child or a young person's need. There's also, um, when, we, when I was talking again earlier of the one in three children growing up in poverty, the parents of those children, can you imagine the stress of having children and just really struggling to make ends meet. You might also be in debt. You know, we know many of our cross-light guests who come are parents. But again, the research shows that when you're under that level of stress, of course, you're, again, that network, the social thinning happens. So you, you're withdrawn because, you, you know, you need to just be focusing on what you're doing. So you lose your network of support. And also your mental health is very likely to be impacted and your, your ability to parent changes. Which again is why our church, Hannah and her team run uh, the uh, Messy Church. It's a place for parents to just come, amazing activities, and they can engage with other parents in a place where their children are, are just having the best time. Um, that's why we, we look to invite parents into Kids Matter here and where we have safe families as, again, a way in which volunteers across the, can, the church can help with the struggles going on in, in our communities. So what can we personally, and we continue corporately as a church, what can we put up for sale to God to be to put ourselves at that point of readiness to give to anyone who need who we become aware of in our wider community what are we ready to pray for and how will we find out about the needs worries concerns hopes of young people in our community and why do we do this we're bringing generational change it's the contrast to what Sue's just been talking about where those children who have the privilege to know and to continue to understand that the world view has a God who loves them cherishes them values them champions them it's those kids who have no concept of that but through the various interventions, we change that worldview such that through somebody maybe from this congregation turning up at the 10 every now and again to go and play football with some of the kids, girls and boys, after the service, that someone has really taken time to help one of the youngsters play the drums in the worship band or the guitar. That it's changing their worldview that there are adults who are interested in them and don't underestimate the power of that. One of the best examples we had of that was there was a guy who used to come here to St. Dee's who played professional rugby. He, I mean, he was six foot eight, but he was like six foot eight across as well. He was huge. I mean, like muscly, massive. And this is when our son was probably about 15 and, you know, trying to be cool. And um, he had a whole load of his mates around and this guy, Pete, came around to see Tim or something. And because he didn't need to, but because he is a man of God, he went and chatted to the lads for ages, for about 10, 15 minutes. And they were all like, oh, hello, hello. You know, the real sort of, this is, if you know that sketch from 
uh, oh, forgotten his name. Anyway, don't get sidetracked. Um, so all like, you know, absolutely listening. And then as he then went off to kind of a chat with Tim, literally all the cool left the room. They were like, wow, he was amazing. And, um, and then, you, you know, none, none of Luke's friends at that point were, were Christians. And, you know, Luke's like, huh, yeah, and, you know, he comes along to our church. But, but the value that those lads felt because someone had chosen to spend time. There he was, you know, professional sportsman. It gave value. And he did that because he's got faith and he wants to communicate his faith in simple ways. Didn't tell them about Jesus, but goodness me, did he have an impact. And they knew he was a part of this church community. So it's small things, but there's also big things. I mean, it's the whole range. And as Hannah said, there's lots of opportunities with our young people and children that they do indeed know, you know, come to know who Jesus is to directly teach them. But also just by being alongside them in any shape or form. Just imagine again that lad who's not yet in school changing his worldview, changing that worldview of his mum, who this volunteer has come in to help her, where she's just got to the end of her tether, she doesn't know what else to do with her son, what impact that has on her. So there are lots of ways, through, as I say, safe families is an easy way for those of us here who've got you know, regular jobs, regular nine to five, you know, well, no one works nine to five today, but, you know, Monday to Friday plus some weekends. Um, but it's a, it's a great way to get involved with those children and young people in our community. But let's, let's, before we do that, let's be talking to one another to find out what is the need, those of you who are involved already. So what I'm going to do in a minute, just to warn those of you who might be horrified by this, in a minute, I'm going to get anybody who's involved, so whether you're a teacher or whether you're a volunteer in some shape or form with children and young people, I'm going to get you to come to the front, partly so that we can see who you are. And as I say, some teachers won't be here today, but we get to see who you are so that we know who to go and talk to. But also then, I'd love to be praying for you. Uh, so just to warn you. But just while you've got that moment to get yourself together for that, um, again, just turn to the, back to the person you spoke to before. What's one thing you're going to do off the back of what you've heard this evening from any three of us, and hopefully from what God has been speaking to you about? One thing you're going to do. <laughs> 